electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, messaging in night two of the unconventional political convention. What the Democrats have been doing is moving to more pre-produced, pre-packaged videos. It's basically a two-hour advertisement. Target reports a monster second quarter with profits up 80%. CEO Brian Cornell says it's all about trust. We've got to be flexible and adaptable, and that's really been the key to our success so far this year in both the first and the second quarter. And it's been one year since 181 CEOs of America's largest companies adopted a new statement on the purpose of a corporation. Business Roundtable CEO Josh Bolton. No company can be successful in the long run if they don't support all of their stakeholders. Those stories and more reopening college campuses and do women make better leaders in a crisis. It's Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Brian Sullivan. Andrew is off today, but Brian, welcome. It's good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Joe, um, in your honor, I wore a purple shirt today. I thought that was red. Honestly, God, for his you know what I decided? Yesterday? <laughs> Don't adjust your sets, folks. It's not. You didn't miss daylight savings time. It's not five. A, it's not five a.m. It's not 5 a.m. You're seeing Brian Sullivan. That's what I did immediately. I go, is this step forward, jump back or something? I didn't, I didn't know. But there he is. Uh, their loss is our gain, obviously, having you here, uh, Sully. Um, you're probably raring sure. to go because you slept in, right? Oh, it was perfect. Yeah, anyway, I slept uh, into, I think, 345. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wore green yeah. for you today, Becky. I'll wake up time. Uh, no, I, I wore purple for you today. Actually, I just went in my closet and this found the ugliest brown shirt I could find, and this is it. That's not green. That's purple. <laughs> this was from yesterday, Brian. Joe wore a brown tie and kept insisting it was purple. So I'm just trolling him a little bit live this morning. First up today on the podcast, digesting night two of the 2020 virtual Democratic National Convention. And in the age of social distancing and Zoom, the medium was a big part of the message. The Democratic Party laying out its agenda this week with another big round of speakers. Eamon Javers uh, joins us uh, now with some of last night's uh, convention highlights. And, and Eamon, I, you know, I'm wearing a, a, a combination of red and blue. I'm trying to be really fair and objective at all times about this. But um, I, I, I missed sure. it. Ag- I missed it again. I forgot about it. I forgot about it again keep, because keep going to bed I was early, busy. Right? No, I, I was busy with watching the, the NBA and I actually had the over with the heat and the Pacers. It was 215. Guess what it was? 113 yep. to 101. Can you believe that? One point. Right. Anyway, uh, I, so I forgot again to watch it. But I just exciting. want to know, what is it? It was. But, yeah, unlike the No, but what is it like? You have to watch it for, for I probably should too. But what is it like? Is it virtual? Is, it, is there any excitement or interest at all at this point? Or I mean, give us the highlights if you, if you there know, aren't. It's, Bill it's interesting. They're, they're, they're 
figuring it out, and we'll see what the Republicans do next week. They're figuring it out as they go along with this sort of virtual convention. It's Look, it's not ideal. It's a lot, you mentioned sports. It's a lot like watching sports without the fans in the audience. You're used to these political conventions with these cheering crowds, the balloon drops, all the confetti. All of that energy doesn't really come through in a virtual convention. So that what the Democrats have been doing is moving to more pre-produced, pre-packaged videos. It's basically a two-hour advertisement uh, for the presidential candidate of the Democratic Party. Last night, they did the traditional roll call of the states. Idaho casts nine votes for Bernie Sanders and 16 for our next president, Joe Biden. I am honored to cast Connecticut's 75 votes. From Black Lives Matter Plaza, the District of Columbia proudly casts 43 votes. Indiana casts 86 votes. Kansas, the Sunflower State, proudly casts 35 votes for our next president, Joe Biden. They did that virtually in states around the country and, and state by state. That was actually something that got a lot of good reviews. People thought the, the speeches were short and sweet and, and kind of fun. Uh, and you got to see all the states around the country. You're used to seeing that in a packed convention hall as well. And Democrats uh, rolled out some of their old stars and some Republicans last night. Bill Clinton uh, took to the airwaves last night to blast Donald Trump. Here's what he said. If you want a president who defines the job of spending hours a day watching TV, and zapping people on social media, he's your man. Denying, distracting, and demeaning works great if you're trying to entertain or inflame. But in a real crisis, it collapses like a house of cards. They also had some Republicans continuing this emphasis of moderate Republicans who support Joe Biden. Colin Powell, the former Secretary of State under George W. Bush, spoke as well. Here's what he said. With Joe Biden in the White House, you will never doubt that he will stand with our friends and stand up to our adversaries, never the other way around. He will trust our diplomats and our intelligence community, not the flattery of dictators and despots. He will make it his job to know when anyone dares to threaten us. He will stand up to our adversaries with strength and experience. They will know he means business. And Becky, tonight the Democrats will be rolling out some more big guns, including Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, and of course their vice presidential pick this time around, Kamala Harris, all speaking tonight on day three of the Democratic Convention. An update now on the reopening of colleges. First, it was UNC going all online after a virus outbreak in Chapel Hill. Now, Notre Dame is moving to online-only instruction for two weeks to try to curb an outbreak caused by off-campus parties. It's even more dramatic in Lansing. Michigan State going fully remote for the entire semester, making the call even before most students return for a September 2nd start. What we've learned is this. It's the parties. The University of Tennessee tracing an outbreak of cases to an off-campus party and the chancellor threatening expulsion for anybody who hosts a party that doesn't meet mask or distancing requirements. How do you have a party with distancing? North Carolina State also has traced a cluster to an off-campus party. As I said yesterday, guys, Joe, college students, they're going to college and they're not worried about it. I know. I know. I, I feel bad. I've got one uh, in the experience. That's part mm -hmm. of the experience, good or bad. I mean, I, I can remember <laughs> Colorado in the uh, in the 70s. So I don't know. I, I've you thought can? about a year off. Maybe you can remember? If, if, if I was <laughs> not much, if, if, but I don't know. I, I might think about. Uh, but that, that that makes it complicated getting back in and getting your stuff, you know, just do, doing all that. Stuff. But but really, the experience itself uh, for for places where 
Uh, like at Penn, I think they're going back, but they got to stay where they are and do their online stuff down there. I don't even know what the point is uh, necessarily. But I, I, we're all listen. We're all of an age. We know we either have people in college or know kids that are in college. And I'm not going to generalize all college yeah. students. There's a lot of conscientious kids out there. Here's the reality. I've talked to a number of college kids or the parents of college kids. They are largely not afraid of it. They they they, they don't care or they don't mm-hmm. seem to care. And they obviously are acting like they don't care by hosting these big parties. What about, you've seen basketball games when someone's, everybody's jumping up and down. They're like this far apart. I mean, the whole college experience uh, is person-to-person contact. It's unfortunate. And, it's, you know, if you think of it as the best, you know, 12 years of your life, like it was for me, then, uh, you know, it, it's sad that, uh, no, it really wasn't. But. Uh, it's it's sad, you know, you get one shot at it, right? And uh, the, the pandemic has disrupted so many things. A new analysis of pandemic data found that in countries where a woman is the head of government fared much better than countries led by men. The study of nearly 200 nations was published by the Center for Economic Policy Research and the World Economic Forum. The trend remained evident even when setting aside outliers like the United States which has the highest number of cases and deaths around the world. The study found that women leaders locked down their countries earlier than male leaders in similar circumstances. The study used the death toll as a metric of success and noted that it did not factor in long-term economic impact. Yeah, so I was wondering what, what the metric used, being used was. So, um, yeah, that, that makes sense. Next on Squawk Pod, Target attracted millions of new customers online in the second quarter and set a record for same-store sales. I think the investments we made in our team in creating a safe shopping environment has built trust with the consumer. CEO Brian Cornell joins us when we come back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Have you been doing a little online shopping during the last few months? I know I have. Many consumers staying at home during the coronavirus pandemic have been turning to retailers' digital options to purchase essentials, school and work supplies, and more. Target, with close to 2,000 stores in all 50 states, reported quarterly earnings this morning. And like the big box retailers we talked about yesterday, Walmart and Home Depot, it showed strong numbers. Target shares earned an adjusted $3.38 for the second quarter. That is substantially higher than what Wall Street expected, about $1.62 a share. And digital sales tripled over a year ago. We heard from Target's chairman and CEO Brian Cornell this morning on Squawk Box about blowing past all the expectations for the quarter. And a word about jargon. You'll hear Becky Quick and Cornell use the word comps. In the retail world, that means a comparison to sales from a year prior. In the second quarter of 2020, Target sales in stores climbed 24% compared to a year ago. 
an all-time high. Here's Becky. Target just out with quarterly numbers, uh, numbers that were much stronger than the street had been anticipating. $3.38 versus the $1.62 the street was looking for in terms of earnings per share. Joining us right now from a Target store in Minnesota is Target's chairman and CEO, Brian Cornell. And Brian, these numbers are, are kind of eye-popping eye when you look at this. Comps up 24.3%, digital sales tripling from a year ago. Let me ask you first, how long have you been in, in retail? Becky, I've been with Target now going into seven years. And um, obviously, this is a special moment for the team. It's a beautiful morning here in Minnesota. And I've got to stop, start by really recognizing our team um, in the most challenging operating environment I've ever seen for this team to deliver the strongest comps in our 50-year history is pretty incredible. And our EPS was also a record high, up over 80%. So to the 350,000 team members in the U.S. and in offices around the world, these results are all about you. <laughs> hey, Brian, a lot of people are looking at this um, and, again, scratching their heads. Uh, even the analysts didn't see this coming. This is far better than any of them had anticipated. But I think the obvious next question is, how long does it last? And I, I know the company is not giving guidance. It's withdrawn its financial guidance for the year. But what are you seeing right now in, in the current month, in the month of August, as, as people are continuing shopping? Are these trends continuing? Yeah, Becky, we continue to see strength across our entire portfolio. So the strength that we saw in the second quarter, and we're going to break down during our earnings call the fact that you know, we saw really consistent strength from May into June and July. May was the strongest month with comps over 30%. But in both June and July, we saw comps in over 20 percent. That strength continued in August, and we're seeing low to mid-teen growth. And the biggest adjustment is probably the consumer who's still waiting for a signal around back to school. So as you might imagine, uniforms and backpack and school supplies are a little slower than last year. But the overall momentum and growth in market share continues as we go into the third quarter. Yeah, the um, back to school, so many people are still wondering what will happen if their schools will reopen or if their kids will be learning virtually. I can, I can understand why they'd be delaying some of these purchases to wait and see what happens. You guys had to stock up for all of that stuff well in advance of, of knowing any of this. What do you do with, with all the things that you have, the backpacks, the other issues, the uniforms? I think, Becky, the key to our success when I think about the second quarters, one, we've been true to our strategy, but our team is really focused on being agile and flexible and adjusting to the current operating environment. We've been changing the playbook every week. And as we think about back to school, I mean, sitting here today, there are 56 million students between K through 12 that are waiting for direction on back to school. As of this week, I understand 66% will start remotely. So they don't know if they're going to go back into a classroom in September or October, if it's going to happen in January. So we're going to have to extend the back to school season and make sure we've got the items that they need throughout the fall, and we can adjust by market. So we've got to be flexible and adaptable, and that's really been the key to our success so far this year in both the first and the second quarter. In the press release this morning, it says that you have taken about $5 billion of market share just over the quarter. And the obvious question becomes, where are you taking that market share from? What, at, at, at whose expense? Becky, if you look at our results in the second quarter, you talked about overall comps up 24.3%, some of the strongest in retail. Our store performance is really, for me, a standout and probably one of the biggest surprises. In this environment where so many Americans are avoiding shopping in physical stores, our store comps were up almost 11%. And I think the investments we made in our team 
and creating a safe shopping environment has built trust with the consumer. And certainly, our digital growth is industry leading at almost 200%. So we've been taking share on a broad-based basis um, from both specialty and department stores, but also some of our traditional competitors, um, including club. So category by category, we're gaining share. And I think about the category performance. In categories like food and beverage and household essentials, we were up 20% during the quarter, uh, competing with our traditional competitors and picking up share in that space. As Americans have been working and teaching from home, you know, we've seen categories like electronics grow by 70% in the quarter. And we picked up significant market share from our electronic competitors. Our business in home was up over 30%. Categories like decor, categories like domestics, what we're seeing in kitchenware, continuing to build momentum and market share. And we saw a big rebound in apparel, which was down almost 20% in the first quarter. It grew in the low single teens um, in the second quarter in a category that is down 20 or 25%. You know, we're seeing significant market share gains. So across our business, we're picking up share from our competitors, whether they're specialty players, department store, or all, also some of our traditional retail competitors. So the market share number of five billion to me is the most important number on the, on the print. And it just shows the relevance of our brand, the momentum, and the trust we're building with American consumers. Hey, Brian, we just showed on the screen that uh, online you had 10 million new customers who came in over the course of, sure of, of the quarter. And that's kind of hard to get your head around, too. What, what everybody wonders, though, will those shoppers stick around? And I guess part of that is, can you tell us anything on the demographics? I know the banks, for instance, have said that they had older customers trying online banking for the first time ever, and they think those customers will stay now that they've figured out how to do it. What, what do you know about your, your new customers, and do you think they'll stay? Becky, it's one of the things I'm most excited about. So I'm standing in front of one of our drive-up lanes. Our drive-up business in the second quarter grew over 700%. And we've had drive-up for several years. But many of those new digital guests discovered drive-up for the first time. And here's a few facts that we've pulled together. That target guest who now starts to use drive-up, well, they spend 30% more with us. What we're finding is some of our traditional store shoppers, and we love those store guests, when they start using our digital channels, we see a fourfold increase in their spending. Those digital consumers who are only using Target.com, when they start discovering our store services, when they start using other fulfillment options, we see a tenfold increase. So we're looking at those new guests really carefully that are now using Target.com and making sure we introduce them to our stores, our store services, and our suite of fulfillments and we see huge upside going forward. You know, generally, I'd ask you what the economy looks like from where you sit. But with numbers like yeah. this, it's hard to imagine you think it's anything but a strong consumer out there. I guess the next question, though, is what happens if there's not a new stimulus bill that's passed by Washington? How important was the initial stimulus that Washington sent out, including $1,200 checks to just about everybody um, in terms of your sales? And, and what happens if Congress doesn't come to some agreement and pass a new stimulus package? Well, Becky, I think it's very important that the House and Senate come together and put forward a new stimulus plan. That being said, when I think about stimulus, I've got to come back to market share. I think it's really important to understand, one, where those dollars are being spent and how they're being spent. And I'd also, Becky, think about as you look at some of the results, 
What's happening with traditional discretionary spending? I mean, in the pandemic, we're not going to restaurants. We're not going to movies. Those traditional summer trips have been canceled. We're not on planes. We're not spending dollars on lodging. So many of those dollars have been redirected into retail. So when I look at the most important numbers right now, it is the traffic trends in our stores, what's happening with market share, and how those dollars are being repurposed and who the winners are. And I think we're clearly seeing in retail today winners and losers. And I'm really proud to say the target's in that winning column today. Brian, it's Joe. Um, yesterday we were trying to figure out. Morning, Joe. That, that just that, just that morning, just that question. And if you squeeze a balloon in the middle, you know how it gets big on, on the. Is that what happened? It's it's the same amount of consumer interest or or discretionary spending, but it's gone to these different places. Or has it been better than we really thought in terms of people getting out and 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 you know not being completely shut down? Is it? Does it help us think maybe we, we have a, a V, not a, a real sharp V, but maybe a better V than a lot of economists thought that we could get? Is there any optimism there? That, that's my only question. Yeah, Joe, again, I think there's just so much uncertainty today. You know, what's going to happen with the pandemic? What's happening with flu season as we go into the fall? Questions about the economy and the new stimulus. Do we go back to school and back to college? So, We've got to make sure we're adjusting to this environment and adjusting each and every week. But I think our success is rooted in the investments we've been making for years. Investments in our multi-category portfolio, the investments in stores and creating great and now a safe store experience, the ease that comes along with our fulfillment channels, the ability to order online and pick up or drive up or have one of our ship shoppers come right to your door. We've got to make sure in this uncertain environment, you know, we're listening to the consumer we're meeting their needs, and we've got to stay flexible. But there's just still so much uncertainty. It's hard to understand what's going to happen next week, let alone three or four months from now. Hey, Brian, I, I, we, we have a, a guy that comes on. I won't mention him by name, but he's pretty, uh, pretty smart about retail. He goes, wow, Target and all the other big, bo- uh, um, big boxes were already, um, in his words, carrying guns to a knife fight. Then the government handed them a bazooka by giving everyone money to spend and shutting down their competition and now they're all taking victory laps about what a great job they did. Uh, give me a break. What do you think of that? Well, Joe, I think one of the things that we did as we started to deal with the pandemic is invest in our team. And we've invested over a billion dollars in pay and benefits for our team. We've invested significantly in safety to make sure that for the guests that shops our stores, they had a safe shopping experience. And I think those investments back in our team in safety for our guests, those have been the most important investments we've made as a company. And I think we're being paid back because we've created a safe environment where our guests trust Target, they're coming to us more often, and our team has responded in an incredible way in this very challenging operating environment. Hey, Brian, uh, Jim Cramer tweeting about how he got a belt in an hour from shipped yesterday. I know that was a big initiative. In terms of the digital sales, how much breaks down into each of those categories, the drive up, the shipped things, and, um, and, and what people can order, I, I guess, just in traditional online? Yeah. Becky, we're going to talk about a lot of this in our earnings call, but you know, think about the drivers of our growth. And while I talked about digital being up 200% and drive up growing by 700, ship by over 350, even things like pickup, which we've had for over five years, growing by 60%. The reality is for us, 
90% of that business has been fulfilled by our stores. And our stores are driving the growth. And we took a very different path, as you know. You and I have talked about this for years now. When others were moving away from stores and building upstream DCs, we said, we're going to use our stores as the center of our strategy and let our stores fulfill digitally. And we saw that come to life quarter after quarter, but it's most pronounced right now during the pandemic, where our stores are playing an oversized role and they're fulfilling that digital demand. So the growth we're seeing, I mean, 700% drive up growth right. is extraordinary. And it's all being fulfilled by our stores. And those are guests that are driving into our parking lots and we're meeting them in the parking lot in a contact-free way, putting in their trunk, they're driving away. So we're just gonna continue to see that same day service fulfillment drive our digital business, but it all starts with the work mm -hmm. our store teams are doing. Brian, I wanna thank you so much for being with us this morning. Great to see you. Uh, we appreciate your time and we look forward to talking to you. Good to see to you. you. Absolutely, thank you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, what is the purpose of a corporation? It's been one year since the Business Roundtable declared companies should not only serve shareholders, but invest in employees and support the communities in which they operate. The head of the BRT joins us. I think the statement has also made it comfortable for them to go to their shareholders and say, yeah, I'm going to be spending some extra money on my employees. Back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kerner along with Becky Quick and Brian Sullivan. Andrew uh, is off. Uh, you heard from him uh, back after yesterday, trying to figure out, uh, you know, no. whether he's run into to Snooky, Snooky or Mike the Situation Room or anything. Don't knock Seaside. Come on. You missed Best it yesterday. I, I might have been. I might have been. Uh, I, yeah, I might have been yesterday. Anyway, I like the entire jersey. I think it's a lot of fun uh, down there. I hope they're distancing. I don't want them at uh, all those great watering holes. Um, you know, tattoo to tattoo. You I don't want that listen, we anyway, just talked US about, we ju I go to Seaside. We just talked about big business. I'll tell you what, the Right Coast Surf Shop on Central Avenue in Seaside. Go see Mike. Go to Surf Taco. Go to the new, t there's, there's, go to it, local business, baby. Small business. Mike, if you're watching, shout out. I'll see you soon. Brian, the situation, Sullivan. All right. 
this morning, the Business Roundtable is looking back one year to when it first decided to call for enhanced corporate responsibility. You may remember last August 19th, the BRT overturned a more than two-decade-old policy statement that said a corporation's main purpose was to serve shareholders. Now it includes the key constituencies of customers, employees, suppliers, and communities. Joining us right now to talk about this is Business Roundtable CEO Josh Bolton. Josh, welcome. Uh, good to have you with us today. Good morning, Becky. So let's talk about what's happened, because there has been so much that's happened in the year since this, and especially because of this global pandemic. I, I think businesses have had to react um, in huge ways to kind of address that and make sure that they are reaching out to all their constituencies. Where do you, where do you think we've come over the course of the last year? Um, I, I think it's been an important year, um, and it's especially for the statement of corporate purpose that you just mentioned, because um, while a lot of people said to me, oh, uh, the economy's in terrible shape, so I guess the corporate purpose statement goes out the window. And my answer has been, on the contrary, uh, what, the, what this crisis has meant is that um, the overwhelming majority of America's big companies are stepping up in a way that actually underscores the values in that corporate purpose statement. Because like you said, this is, this is a moment when um, the corporations who are able to do that need to support their customers, their employees, their suppliers, and the communities in which they operate, as well as their shareholders. Hey, Josh, I've been thinking about it, and I know you have some very specific examples of, of things where companies have really stepped up to reach out to their community, maybe to their employees. I can think of many of them from the ones we've talked to, where they're paying their employees more, where they are giving back to the communities and making sure they help support them. Do you think it was right. because of this purpose statement, though, or do you think this is just something, to me, great companies have done this for a very long time? Great companies have, and the uh, and the corporate purpose statement is in many ref respects a reflection of the way that um, good CEOs lead their companies these days. Um, but I think the statement has also made it made it front of mind for a lot of companies and made it comfortable for them to go to their shareholders and say, "Yeah, I'm going to be spending some money, extra money, on my employees uh, for the next six months." Or I'm going to be, uh, you know, foregoing uh, uh, cutting off our electricity customers who can't pay right now. Um, and you can you can say that much more comfortably to your shareholders now. I think because of the values reflected in that statement. You know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it from that perspective before. The idea that this gives those CEOs some cover with their shareholders when they go to them. Have you, have you seen a change in shareholder mentality over the last year? Um, over the last several years, yes. Um, I mean, you look, at, uh, you look at BlackRock, you look at Vanguard, uh, you look at a lot of the, the big shareholders, and they're not just acquiescing in uh, CEOs behaving this way. They're, they're calling for it, as are the company's customers and employees. Hey, Josh, do you have a couple of examples that you might want to highlight of, of things that companies are doing very specifically these days? Uh, sure. Well, it, it's, a, it's a really long list, uh, but uh, you've got the auto companies, GM and Ford. They retooled their operations to make, uh, to make ventilators. Uh, you've got Cigna and New York Life stepping up and creating a $100 million fund 
for the um, for the families of frontline workers. Uh, you've got Duke Energy and Edison International and Comcast uh, um, giving their customers who are in trouble uh, the opportunity not to have their service cut off in the midst of the crisis. Just about every major American company has really substantial examples of ways that they've stepped up and try to help see all of their stakeholders through the crisis. Hey, hey, Josh, it's 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 Joe Kernan, and you know we've talked in the past, and you know I've I've sort of argued or, or at least played devil's advocate from the point that. Uh, if you take care of, of shareholder value, like Milton Friedman said, that by definition, you can't do things to, to hurt, um, you know, your community. You can't do things to pollute rivers. You, can, you, know, you have to think of all these things or else it comes back to haunt you. And if there was one thing that you needed to do, it's stay profitable so that you can stay in business for your employees and your customers and everything else. So I kind of needled you a little bit about getting woke or whatever, but my, my point I'm making right now, see if you agree with it, you're still basically, even with all these concessions that the BRT has made, given where the left has moved about capitalism and the AOC, you're still a hundred, there's still plenty of differentiation uh, between where you are and where some people in this country want to take us right now. Would you agree with that? Oh, sure, Joe. Um, and uh, look, the statement wasn't a concession by, by CEOs. It's the way they think they ought to run their companies in the interests of their long-term shareholders and in the interest of the system overall. So our CEOs are still 100 uh, percent supporters of free market principles. They're supporters of capitalism. And the way to make capitalism work in America these days is to make sure that uh, every company is taking care of all of its stakeholders in the interest of their long-term shareholders. Yeah, but there are sometimes, Josh, if a CEO's personal woke, um, I don't know, whatever they happen, you, you can come up with, I can come up with examples, Josh, where if a CEO mm -hmm. decides he wants to do something, it could, be, it could be counterproductive for shareholders what his own little woke, um, you know, whatever it is that, that, that he has on his plate that he wants to do with the company's money that could affect shareholders. So it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And just to say these guys are all capitalists and we all believe it, not everyone believes that anymore. So that does distinguish yeah. your group from a lot of people that are going to be there all week. Oh, watch tonight. They'll be there all week long talking about a very different view of how an economy should operate versus what you're talking about. Sure. And, Joe, that's exactly why the, the corporate purpose statement says uh, we're supporting our stakeholders. And that, that means our employees, our customers, our suppliers, and the communities in which we operate. Um, and so if you, if you stick to that, uh, that mantra, then you don't have people going off on, on frolic and detours of whatever, uh, whatever good cause happens to strike them. The good cause here is supporting a corporation's stakeholders in the interest of their long-term shareholders. Josh, thank you for your time today. Um, it's good to talk to you, and we hope to see you soon. Likewise. All the best. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. If you're a TV person, tune in to CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and see what they look like and judge the colors of Joe's ties for yourself. Pantone 448. You know why? This is all a diversion. Nobody's been talking about my toupee the last two days. 
uh, because of the top. Okay? So, I was you know, actually thinking the lighting there is pretty good because your hair is the real color under the lighting there. Yeah, it is. It is. People don't realize that. Yeah. Well, it's the real. No, it's real. It, it, I swear I don't do anything to it. If you're a podcast person, keep listening here. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. Share. Tell a friend. We will continue to bring you the smartest takes and analysis from our three-hour morning show and sometimes what we hope are jokes. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.